0: Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. Today is May 28th, 2020, and today I have a special guest on, Seth Partnow from over the, at The Athletic. Seth, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing all right. It's a, a cold, drab day in, uh, in,
1: in in Wisconsin, but otherwise we're pretty good. I guess it's not that cold, but it's drab.
0: Yeah, could call it Midwest Madness for sure. Uh, replace right. Marsh Madness. But, um, so, you know, today I, I really wanted to bring you on to talk about the Pacers offense and um, kind of, how, I don't want to call it a, a dinosaur. I mean, I've been watching a little bit too much Jurassic Park lately. But uh, uh, in some ways, it is an archaic offense. Some ways, it's, it's it's good. Some ways, it's bad. And I just kind of want to break it down with you. Uh, first of all, what's just kind of your, your general feel um, when thinking about the Pacers offense or when you watch a couple of sets?
1: Uh, I mean, archaic is possibly too strong. But it's yeah. certainly it's it's old fashioned at least. Um, I think some of that is, um, um you know, some of that is, it, it's always tough to disentangle the scheme from the talents and, you know, playing two traditional bigs, especially when the nominal four is a, is, is, is a not, is a non floor spacer like, like Sabonis. Um, there, there are some limitations to, to what you can do. Um, so it's, uh, it certainly isn't the most progressive in terms of, of, uh, modern NBA office offenses. I'd say that, but it's not, um, I wouldn't say it's to the point of being like stultified. Um, hmm. I, I, I don't think that they are underperforming their talent level because of, of kind of their offensive structure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would totally agree with that. I think I went a little bit hard with the archaic. Uh, I was trying to have like a good intro there, but, uh, I think one of the first uh, aspects that I want to talk to you about, especially because you spent some time with the Bucks, And first of all, if you guys are not familiar with Seth's work, definitely check it out. I, I quoted a lot in my work. Um, I, I think looking at Malcolm Brogdon this year was kind of a mixed bag and largely, you know, I, I don't put that on him, on him, uh, a lot of injuries uh, to deal with, which we, you know, similar to as he has without his career, I mean, throughout his career um, and a completely new role for him, uh, but I mean, after being largely one of the most efficient role players in the league for his his short time in the league, um, he he really struggled this year. Uh, at least, well, after the first twenty games, uh, I should say. Uh, did
1: he did he struggle or?
0: Yeah, it was so. Well, I have the numbers right in front of me, and it was yeah, also. No, I, I
1: just it's it's sort of you know uh, you you have to treat. You mentioned a new role, and if you're mm-hmm. yes, his his efficiency was lower, but it's if. It, if you are bumping your usage up as much as he did, you're necessarily taking um, you're, you're taking more difficult shots. That's one hundred percent. So, um, I, a lowered efficiency does not necessarily follow to mean lowered effectiveness if it's accompanied by a big increase in usage. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I that my wording is completely off today. Um, <laughs> That's all right. But I, I mean, so well for, for, through the first nineteen games, he was. I mean, his his efficiency was incredible. I mean, uh, I believe the true shooting for uh, true shooting average this year was about fifty five or fifty six percent. So he was fifty seven point nine percent true shooting for through the first nineteen games, which is before his first injury. So um, I mean, he was shooting really well, and this is the best he shot from three for the year. He Shot close to thirty five percent. Um, which is obviously down for him from last year, but his shot difficulty was just astronomically different. I was pouring over the numbers this morning. Um, 83% of his, assi- of his threes were assisted last year. And this year was only 39%, which is uh, obviously an astronomical change. Um, and I mean, that, that was the same with his uh, attempts from two. Uh, I mean, 57% last year down to 24% this year. So a lot of his, his looks are now self-created and, uh, generated off the dribble, where it, it wasn't really the case last year or any of the years prior. Um, and I think one of the one of the things that I'm really excited about with him is with Old Depot coming back and hopefully being, uh, you know, close to the player that he had been, um, if not fully there. Is Brogdon's cutting ability because that's something we really haven't gotten to see this year, and it was kind of on full display for him in Milwaukee.
1: Yeah no I'd agree with that and again that's the, the just the really interesting thing about his, his he, the, the different role he played this year is is uh I mean you know maybe it's just an expectations game but y- you weren't sure given how much of a kind of purely complimentary player he he was you know for us for those 3 years going to a more primary player how it would work and you know it The efficiency wasn't perfect, but there's a lot. There's a long history of of players kind of stepping from one role to another, and it just being terrible. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had you know for the season his his true shooting was fifty three seven. That's below average, but not awful. Mm -hmm. Um, And considering his his you know the the degree to which he he upped his playmaking load and 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 just did more was on the ball significantly more. um, You know, I would. I would describe it, especially when considering the injuries, as a as a qualified
0: success. Yeah, definitely. I, I would 100% agree with that. I uh, I was not uh, anticipate. I mean, I, I knew he was going to be uh, a solid player. Obviously, I'd watched him in Milwaukee, um, but I was uh, like you just mentioned. I was very uh, unsure of how him transitioning to into a lead ball handler was going to work. And it was what. Uh, it-
1: and sorry to interrupt, but I don't oh, think that I, I I don't think that, that was I mean, there there was probably always some notion that he would be doing some of that early in the year. And then I think like you probably know this better than me, but like uh, Oladipo uh, probably came back a little bit later than kind of people were expecting.
0: Yeah, I going think into there the season. were initial talks of him maybe coming back. Um, in December, and yeah, that, that got pushed back for sure.
1: Yeah, and so there's, so that's you know, you go from okay, he was gonna be, he was gonna be the like the primary lead ball handler for six weeks, and instead, it became double that essentially. Yeah. So, um, you know, it it, it 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 went from do it in a pinch to do it all the time, and then there was actually, I was I was actually happened to be at one of the 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 Pacers games uh, shortly after Oladipo came back, um, and there was kind of some weirdness. Uh,
0: as the two of them trying to kind of fit in together, yeah, yeah, I would fully agree with that. that was something I actually had as one of our talking points um it's it was starting to get a little bit better before uh Brogdon was out for the rest of the season um prior to the stoppage but it it's very um it seems more like very my turn, your turn kind of uh when they're both on the floor together
1: yeah and and you know I think that might be a little bit where um. If it still looks that way with kind of a full training camp and, and going to a full year with both of them playing, that might be uh, one of the, the things where you would kind of critique the scheme because I don't think there's any good reason why they can't play together and kind of, I don't, I don't want to say take turns, but it'd be a little bit more seamless just, you know, having. Having a player on the weak, having a perimeter player on the weak side of plays who can, you know, run a second side pick and roll or something like that, there's nothing wrong with that. And you yeah, know, you can kind of switch off who does the first one, who does the second one. But if it becomes like the guy who isn't initiating the play, standing and watching and waiting, then that kind of loses effectiveness. And you know, again, without you know a lot of game time and preseason and training camp to like work through those things, that's understandable. But if you go through those things and it's still there, then you may worry that, okay, the, the system is not in place to allow these guys to, to really have any sort of positive synergy with each other. And, you know, I, we, we don't know that it will happen. We haven't seen it either way is, is how I'd say it. Because I don't, I don't think that, like, again, the combination of Oladipo coming back, you know, and, and physically working himself back into shape and then also just, like, midstream kind of adjusting to that is I I don't think that's a that that's always a true representation of how you're intending for them to play together.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think uh, this year, well, largely the playoffs are going to be kind of uh, a real showcase for the for the team this year, and uh, uh, we're going to get. I guess uh, I mean it depends what happens tomorrow with the Board <laughs> governors meeting, but uh, largely we are on track to to see that. But still, the results are going to be different than they had previously. Um, but I think one of the things that I'm I'm really wondering about. Uh, is how, I mean, like kind of like you just mentioned with, with uh, them working in tandem, uh, how how, is there like kind of like a historical reference we could use where it's like, um, how do you merge having two guys who I, I I don't want to say that Brogdon is not like a true lead ball handler, but I think him and old Depot are kind of more like one and a half. like they're both very capable of doing it, but maybe, I mean, obviously they're not elite, elite all-stars or anything like that at, the moment. Um, but how do you factor in each guy getting the kind of reps um, running, running plays, running pick and roll, uh, while still having solid off ball action for both of them?
1: I think there've been some decent, um, uh, the 13, the, the, I think it was 2013, 14, the year the Suns kind of surprised everyone won, uh, won forty eight games uh, when, <laughs> when, 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 uh, uh, Bledsoe and, and Goran Dragic, mm-hmm. Uh, kind of kind of oh excuse me kind of kind of did that a little bit. Um you even see kind of see that a little bit with with Dragitch in the heat this year mm-hmm. uh, uh to some extent. Um uh so I think it's it's certainly plausible. It's less probably common than it might have been in a in you know a previous era where where there may have been, you know more common, you, you, what you could call like a two-guard front where it's like both both guys are kind of one and a halves, not a one being a one the other one being a two. And that's sort of where, where Indiana is this year. Um, you know, Charlotte kind of had that this year with mixed to not much success <laughs> yeah. with, with, uh, with Devontae Graham and, and Terry Rozier. Um, although I don't the, – the degree to which you can pin that on those guys um, is is you don't know. Um, like, given the players and skill sets, I don't want to say there's no reason it can't work, but there's plenty of reasons it can. Um, like neither of them are guys who absolutely need to have the ball in their hands, and both of them are, I think, good enough catch and shoot players and and at, at moving off the ball to be able to to provide value that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I, I, that's one thing I'm really excited about. Cause I think Brogdon's, uh, spot up numbers were down this year, but that's largely because he wasn't doing it that much. Yeah. Um, and the amount of attention he received on, on all the shots, I mean, right. it's different when, uh, you're the number one compared to playing alongside Giannis and Chris Middleton. So, um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I'm just really excited to see how they make that work out. Um, and so, so moving into the front court a little bit, uh, looking at the monos bonus, that's an, another way that it kind of factors into pick and roll. Um, I think there, I don't want to say that there's like a misconception about him, but his, uh, his post-up efficiency is good, but it's not in insanely good. Like it's not like uh top level. Like, I mean, Hakeem's not no, a great he's not he, yeah. Joel Embiid. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, I okay, think he's not, yeah. he's not Joel Embiid. That's that is true. Yeah. And um, but I mean it's still very good. But I think one thing that is really interesting out of that, his passes uh, out of post ups actually generate more uh, points for possession uh, per synergy than his actual post ups do. Um, and I, I so
1: think, can I? Can I? Sorry, can I stop you yeah, there? That's sure. that. That's that's as much uh, like an artifact of how synergy kind of tracks as it is. Um, uh, I think I think you'll you'll find that kind of thing like the pass out often looks better because if, mm-hmm. if, you know, there's a pass out and a shot that meant that largely meant it was a pass out to someone who was open. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the times when good things happen, the next play down downstream, it's better. <laughs> so, you know yeah, what I mean? Definitely. You're, 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 you're kind of, you're, you're kind of getting a little bit of a, of a, of a biased sample there. Um, there, there, there's stuff that teams have internally that we sort of get a peek at with the, the tracking data on NBA.com that we don't get fully. That would give a um sort of a, a fuller picture of that, you know, what, what the offense looks like anytime he gets the ball in the post. Um, and I don't, I, I, just i frankly don't know what those would look like for 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 him this year whether it's like you know uh, any he like what a possession looks like any time he touches the ball in the post regardless of whether the shot came you know directly from it or you know the the kind of play you don't really see in the directly from is he posts up maybe draws a half double team or a stunt kicks it out swing swing something happens like you know they're downstream like that if if he's drawn enough attention to create an advantage that guy who gets the ball two, three passes down the line is getting the ball at an advantage. And so that, you know, in some ways, he he's, he's due some credit for that. But we just, we, with the public data, we don't really,
0: we can't really tell Missouri to which that may or may not be true. Okay, that, that makes sense. I, I just got Synergy uh, probably two <laughs> weeks ago, so I'm still yeah. learning the ins and outs a little yeah. bit. So uh, definitely, i I. I Need to get a degree in data science, it seems like. I no, it's so
1: no, it's not. This is not a, it's, it's not a, it, this, this is more a degree, not even a degree. It's just learning the, the definitions of these things matter, um, in terms of what's being, cause it, not to get too meta on you, but these are all sort of made up things. Mm. And so figuring out what is mean, what it means when I say this is a post up, this is a playoff of a post up, like you in your mind's eye have an idea of what that means yeah the definition they're using when they track it might not be the same thing, so it's it 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 can a lot of i think common mistakes in application of basketball stats that I see sort of and I'm not saying you're making one by the way, but just in general uh sort of come from that okay this the the name of this stat sounds like this concept I know, and therefore it's that thing when it's it's something that's like you know ten degrees off from what i what my mind's eye says it is. So it's not exactly what I think it is, and so I'm. But I'm using it as if it was, and so it's not. You know, you. You know, it's like using the wrong kind of salt in a recipe or something like that. Yeah. You know, it it's mostly right, but maybe just a little bit off, so it doesn't quite taste right.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Because one, like one thing that I really try and focus on. I mean, I'm still. I mean, I'm only 22 and this is my first first one, first uh, kind of like media foray a little bit. So I'm, yeah. I, I really try and focus on not misapplying stats when I when I talk about things. And uh, um, one thing that kind of lends to, to our discussion with that, um, I think there's, I, I, I don't necessarily, I mean, obviously what Houston does with um, trying to play the numbers with math works incredibly well for them. Uh, That's not what the Pacers should do. That's not what the – just in my humble opinion. Like, I I think that's not how the rosters build or anything. Uh, We're currently either last or 29th in the league in three-pointers attempted per game this year. Um, And that's what, like, to me, where I want to see – where I think there could be a definite improvement. Because it's not – I mean, uh, it's different because there are some very good to above-average mid-range shooters on this team. and uh, The team generates – a, a ton of its looks from, from mid-range. I mean, Brogdon has had an incredible year from mid-range. TJ Warren, uh, Sabonis is a credible mid-range. Shooter. He Shoots about 44%, which is uh, slightly above average. Um, and I think my question, to you, like one of the main questions I want to pose to you is um, how how do you factor in shooting more threes without uh, – and I think when I say that, I, I don't want to mean that it's like this team just has to – gun threes like crazy i think it's just more on the the math eventually plays against you when you you don't take uh when you're taking such a smaller number of points that mean more or i mean shots that could mean more if if that makes sense
1: sure so i think this is an area especially this year where probably the lack of Depot actually kind of shows up a little bit um three pointers are sort of, they they're a result almost. Like if you, you think about an open catch and shoot three pointer, it's not like you just throw the ball around the perimeter and like, Oh, someone's open and I'll shoot. You know, you had to do something to get the guy open. And certainly in today's NBA, one of the, the, the most, probably the most common way that happens is with you know dribble penetration mm-hmm. and the Pacers played most of this season without their best penetrator. Like, Uh, like Brogdon is able to alpha pick and roll, get downhill and make kind of a simple read. Um, But he's not, he's not a guy who is uh, with great frequency going to take a just square defender up, break him down, draw help, kick to someone else. And that's where maybe a little bit, uh, Oladipo is probably a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more able to, to kind of get into seams that way, draw help. And then as the ball moves, then you, you might rotate. And so, You know, this year they they uh, the Pacers took the lowest proportion of their shots as kind of above the break threes in the league. I think with the full season of Oladipo, I think that they would they. I don't know if they would be. You know, they're certainly not going to be. Given both personnel and coaching, they're not going to be top of the league, but they're not going to be thirtieth either.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's that's a really interesting point that you made about Brogdon. I really like that point because. Uh, I guess I hadn't necessarily thought about how a driver uh, impacts the ability of three. I mean, not the ability, but the the swinging of getting to a three. Because um, Brogdon as good of, as he is in the pick and roll, he's not great at generating separation and and uh, getting to the rim off of a first step. That's that's not what who he is as a player entirely. Um,
1: you know, he, so he'll get get you on his hip, create an angle, and then you know finish himself or or you know. Uh, I I think this is part of why Indiana had success early in the year is they, is they, they kind of put him in, in situations to make simple reads well. And he did that. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you can get to with, especially with two quality bigs like he was working with, you can get to some decent outcomes with that, but you're not going to necessarily get the, the super, like, you know, the super high octane offense out, out of that. Out of just that, like if that's that's part of what you're doing, great. But if that's like you know, but if it's just fastball, 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 it doesn't really matter how good the fastball is, almost,
0: yeah, yeah, you got to have a changeup in there every once yeah, in a while, exactly. Um, and so, I mean, so basically, I, I just think having Old Depot back in, having Brogdon be able to be the recipient of those easier passes, are, definitely, um, that's that's going to make such a huge difference, okay? That makes a lot more sense looking at that. Um, I think another aspect that I want to hit on is uh, how do you think Miles Turner could maybe be um, injected in the offense a little bit more? I mean, I think we saw some of it uh, towards the end of the season, he was getting uh, more role re- role replaced with, with Sabonis and um, there was just more action in the offense created for him, but also he's is generally just used as a spacer by, uh, by the coaching staff, which makes sense. I mean, you can, you can space, having spacing is important. Um, but I think also getting him involved is, is very important as well.
1: Um, I think um, you kind of talked about it, like that kind of, that, that that sort of, that kind of pick any sort of pick and roll set that uses both of them and, and one as a roller, or one as a popper, I think does some interesting things. He's just, by virtue of skill set, he's he's just always going to be more effective as a spacer and making sure that when he is spacing, he's spacing all the way to three. I think that's just, you know, that, that, that is a schematic thing that I think that, that they can probably, they can probably clean up a little bit because I'm just in general, I think that, that, you know, if you end up with a lot of catch and shoot twos, you're probably, especially for a guy who can shoot threes, you're probably positioning guys slightly suboptimally. Um, just again, if a guy's open enough to shoot it when they caught it, something has gone Right. You want, the, you want the things, you, when things have gone right, you want to have the highest chance of it being, you know, you want the, the jackpot to be worth the most. And like three is more than two. And there's not, you know, for most guys, there's not a huge percentage difference in terms of how many they make at 18 feet versus three point. So yeah, give me the extra point. Um, so I think that would be just just that tweak, I think, it's probably... Um, a pretty, it would be a pretty useful, um, cause I mean, he's, he's among the more prolific long mid range shooters in the league and in terms of, in terms of volume mm-hmm. and, and, um, I don't, I don't think that there's a good reason for that considering how good a shooter he is from, from one
0: step further back. Exactly. As, as somebody who's watched Spacer since the day that he was drafted, it's uh it has definitely been a work in progress for the last five years. And I'm hoping that that becomes more of a regularity um, him being a little bit further back, uh, especially because he's so much better off the catch than, uh, than uh, I mean, in, in pick and pop situations, he's much better yeah. in pick and pop than he is uh, just getting it off the catch. Um, I think, that's that's another interesting point, though, uh, bringing up about guys being very similar from from long, mid to uh, to shooting from three, and I think that brings up kind of two questions for me. Um, number one, with with Sabonis, um, he doesn't have like obviously the greatest uh, jump shot touch, but I'd also argue that I think his, uh, his his touch on his jumper is good enough to be a viable three point shooter. I'm not saying that he's going to shoot league average. I, I think that is. Um, I mean, anything's possible, but that's not something I'd envision. Um, but I, I, I want to kind of pick your brain on on what you think the importance of just being a, a willing shooter is compared to to being uh, a a guy sure. who hesitates.
1: Sure. I mean, I think for a guy to be a floor spacer, you might, you know, most guys they take. What four or five three pointers every hundred possessions? Mm -hmm. So that's there's ninety five (laughs) other. What what what? How is the defense reacting to you on those other ninety five plays? Exactly. And if you're someone who will shoot, and the defense knows you'll shoot and knows you can make then they honor you in in sort of a way that if you're going to be a guy who's going to pump and hesitate and jab step and, and do other things that like, okay, well I can close short to this guy. I can, I can take an extra step off of him. I can, I can, you know, dig down on the ball handler I can do all these little things that make life harder for everybody else when this guy's spacing. And those are kind of hard to, it's hard to see that in kind of general numbers. But if you, you know, if you're, if, as you're watching games, you see like, man, there's not a lot of room for the guy with the ball. And it's probably because there's, there's, there's one or more guys the defense isn't really honoring. And so, yeah. Okay. I'm going to shoot, I'm going to shoot 34% from the shot. Are you you're just going to let me tee it up and take it? Cause if you, if you are, I'm going to shoot it every time. Then that's, you know, uh, I think one of the best examples of this in the league is Marcus smart it's not a not a not a not a great not probably not even a good three point shooter but he'll shoot and everyone knows he'll shoot so they guard him like maybe in a playoff situation it might be different but they guard him like he's going to shoot and so that means that his man is like okay i can't just leave him and that means he's creating space whether or not he's actually going to make the shot or not the defender being that that half step closer to him all 100 possessions not just the five that that he's going to shoot it makes more difference than it would be if he was a 40% shooter who was more hesitant, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's been uh, one of the, to not even related to the Pacers, but correct me if you, if you think I'm wrong, but I think one of the biggest improvements for Pascal Siakam this year has been uh, he's shooting, I believe roughly the same percentage, but he's shooting much more willingly. Um, and that's car- caused much more. To, I mean, obviously, he's taken a lot more pull ups as well. I believe it was almost strictly catch and shoot last year, but uh, he was taking a ton of pull ups this year. Um, but I mean, he, we went from in his, I believe, the Philly series, he was like totally gun shy from three. Um, and that's just not been an issue for him this year. And that's totally in- improved his game, giving him more stuff to do off the dribble or in pump and go situations. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking at with 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 Sabonis. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be that little <laughs> right. floor spacer, but uh, you know, uh, I think uh, it, I, I've, I've talked about it a couple times on, on past podcasts. The Pacers love uh, running like a high DHO um, between the ball handler. And uh, I mean, between Sabonis and the uh, oncoming ball handler. And a lot of times it sticks because he won't get guarded out that far. So they'll stick the the guy who's coming to get the ball and he'll just be stuck at the top of the key. And there's the closest guy's 10 feet off of him. Right. Um, so I, I think that's one of the aspects, like if he was just a credible three, um, not even credible, if he was just, if people knew that he would shoot it, uh, I think that opens up the floor even more.
1: Right. No, I think, I mean, the, I mean, you look at uh, the example of that would be the amount of like extra space for cutting and stuff that the fact that like Nikola Jokic will shoot. Mm -hmm. creates for and obviously like Sabonis is a a good passer but he's not you know he's not he's not Nikola Jokic as a passer so I don't want to draw that comparison but just the amount of space the fact that like Jokic will shoot that shot creates for them to then have players like run into space for him to hit with those passes so I think that it's it, it is it is very much the same thing is you know instead of giving up that big gap where a defender can just kind of you know wave at him they're they're up on him more just cleans up you know the the continuity of the entire offense
0: definitely and so like then how would you even go about weighing because i mean sabona shoots 44 percent from long mid which is uh solid i mean that's above average i believe that is in the top third of of bigs um but at the same time how do you weigh being willing to take and miss a three pointer compared to maybe hitting a couple more mid-range shots
1: I think that's, I mean, I think that's,
0: I think that's, that's right.
1: I mean, if he's, you know, if he's shooting, you know, mid thirties from three, it's just better. And you're not, I don't think you're actually losing that much because he's, you know, if the possessions where he's ending up at that long mid range, he's no more likely to get offensive rebounds than if he's, you know, above the break and actually he's probably in better situation for uh defensive transition on a three than he is on a long mid range or two. So um, for but for a player who's going to be involved in a lot of roles, a lot of cuts, a lot of offensive rebound, maybe some post ups, there is kind of a of a where it fits in the overall offense. So I don't want to. I, I don't know if if full time getting him all the way kind of above the arc instead of at the elbows. Um, that's where kind of really knowing the intricacies of the offense would. Would be important to to because there's so many there's so many good things that probably happen from you know him being in in that closer area, and so maybe on the plays where he ends up just like at the top of the key, it's not great, but the plays where he's able to roll to the basket, the, the the plays where he's able to you know get a post up and then you know put a, then back a guy down, the, the plays where he's close enough to contest an offensive rebound, those, those situations. They're all kind of come from the same position, uh, the same initial positioning. So unbalanced, maybe that makes more sense. So I, that that one's a little bit more complicated, I think, than than the Turner situation where he's not a great post up player and and not, he's not a big offensive rebounder. So there's not you're not you're really not sacrificing much by him, you know, being at 24 feet instead of 19 feet. Whereas with Sabonis, you are losing some of those other skills that he has. So
0: Definitely. that's
1: like I think that's the Um, being willing to take that shot when he ends up there in the offense is one thing designing the offense so that he is always there is maybe something you'd have to think about more. I'm sorry. That was a, was a, was a complicated answer, but
0: no, no, that's totally good. That makes a lot of sense. I think one of the reasons, not to, not to harp on you, but one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on is because you're, you're good at um, you're good at giving a complex answer, but having it make sense because there are a lot of people who just give complex answers and they leave me with, you know, a hundred more questions than I had before. So um, I think, you know, another thing too, that, that is important. I mean, uh, obviously threes and getting free throws are not exactly the same thing. So you have to earn the third point on a, on a free throw, but uh, I, the the Pacers offense does not generate a lot of free throws uh, largely because a lot of the shots are taken from mid range. Um, and a lot of the shots that are at rim are, are runners or floaters. So you're, you're, you're going to get fouled on those less when you're not seeking contact. It's just, you know, basketball. Um, But how, like, what other ways can you improve on, on getting to the foul line? Because obviously easy points are the most important points for making an an offense, uh, an offense better.
1: Um, I I mean, again, I think, I think that comes from the, the same, same thing we talked about with the threes earlier. Um, If you, you, not having, you know, a dynamic point of attack, um, you know, Kind of agitator, I guess. Um, you know, the the you get those advantage situations at the rim when you've kind of broken the defense down. Now, sometimes, you know, that can be the what the guy with the ball is so overpowering that you know, Le, LeBron or or Giannis they they are an advantage. Um, now the Pacers don't have that guy, but you know, being able to you know Oladipo getting downhill and then you know, say TJ Warren's man takes a step off and then. T.J. Warren cuts baseline and then he has a, he's, he has an advantage situation at the rim as opposed to him, him having to break a guy down first. Like, that's the kind of situation where he might be more likely to draw a foul, if that makes sense.
0: No, yeah, that totally makes sense. And uh, totally just random question, but I'd, I'd love yeah. to get your take on T.J. Warren's game this year because uh, he is somebody who, I mean, uh, I'm writing an article about it right now uh, on on his game and his development, but his, his offense has just totally floored me this year with uh, – is his ability to kind of hit from just about anywhere.
1: I, I'm, I'm a generally a big fan of guys who can score efficiently without needing the ball. You know, a guy who just kind of, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move without the ball. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hit open shots. I'm going to cut. I'm going to get offensive rebounds. I'm going to, you know, find these, just find ways to score and don't necessarily need it to, get, you know, offense that kind of comes out of flow. Because um, I think those are the kind of guys who, as your team gets better, uh, maintain value as kind of positive, complimentary players. So I've always been—I've always been a pretty decent fan of, of his game because of his ability to kind of, you know, get
0: buckets without um, black blackholing the offense. Yeah, without
1: yeah. exactly without blackholing the
0: offense. The anti-Rudy kind of, Gay effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's okay. Awesome. Well, uh, so just kind of in closing, uh, sure. Looking at the Pacers, like just in general, um, what? is like the number one thing you'd want to see out of their offense uh, just moving forward.
1: Um, I, I think finding ways just to get a little bit more plays that create a little bit more advantage and force more defensive reaction. Um, And that's, I think that that probably comes from um, just finding ways to generate more spacing and whether that's, you know, playing only one of the bigs at a time, or if you are playing both, like m- making sure that like Turner is spaced so that there are kind of, kind of uh th- there's room for, for, for driving and and kind of creates longer rotations for the defense to, to put them in, you know uh, I think that in prospect, you know, a, a lineup of, of Oladipo, Brogdon, Warren, um, and one or both bigs, like that's the, that you should be able to con- to, to construct a, a, a decent offense with with that kind of talent, um, if if you really uh, are ensuring proper spacing. So I think that's the um, I, I think that's the thing that I would be
0: wanting to see most. Yeah, I fully agree. Well, hopefully we are going to be seeing that. In, I guess July. <laughs> so. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's all up in the air, man. Who yeah. knows? I have uh, well, i I'm tentatively waiting to see what, what even comes out of tomorrow. I yeah. saw some random report from USA today that no decision is going to be made tomorrow, but I don't really know. What
1: I, I think be. I might, the, the, the best information that we've seen floating around now I think is that they're going to be like presenting some plans tomorrow and then voting on them next week. Okay. So, like, that makes be, sense. Um, and cross our fingers and that they don't, try to do anything too fancy and just, you know, make sure we get basketball.
0: I agree. I agree. Well, Seth, thank you so much for coming on, man. Uh, yeah. I really appreciate it. Uh, Absolutely. It was great talk talking to you. Me. Yeah. Uh, if you guys have not already, uh, please go rate, review, and subscribe on Apple podcasts. Uh, check out our articles on com, and also check out Seth's stuff over at The Athletic. I believe The Athletic is still uh, free on a 90 day membership currently. I, correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, but, I, so. I honestly,
1: I should, I should know this, but, uh, I, yeah, yes. I mean, if I should have known before I said <laughs> it so it's, it's um, last, last, last I checked. Yes. We we, we do have a, a, little, a little bit of a
0: try before you buy thing going. So, you know, check it out. Awesome. Um, well, Seth, thanks again. I'll talk to you uh, talk to you sometime soon, man. Harden. Thanks for having me.